MacCast, Friday, August 13th, 2021. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your Mac Guest, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the Mac Cast. You know, life moves pretty fast, and if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Perfect quote for me to start off this show because, hey, it's going to be a little bit of probably a shorter one, you know, famous last words. Uh, I am getting ready to... Um, take my daughter off to college and it's a pretty big life event uh definitely something you don't want to miss i'm gonna slow down a little bit and enjoy that but of course we do have some apple and mac news and stuff to talk about we got to hang out for a little bit and that's cool i enjoy doing that glad to be back here with you um and we're gonna be getting into some things we're gonna do uh, even though briefly uh, we're gonna get into some of the latest iphone rumors uh, we've got some TV stuff, Apple TV Plus stuff going on this week, and um, some MacBook Pro uh, updates and, and MacBook updates to talk to you about. That's all happening in the news, and then I want to talk to you about Apple and the living room. We have a question and uh, try to help a listener out with a display issue, connecting to a display an older display to a newer Mac, and we'll talk about that a little bit. And then I have a little bit of a thing of the moment for you in this episode. So should still should be fun, even if it is brief, but let's just dive right into things, shall we? So uh, a couple of late-breaking iPhone rumors, some of them kind of replicating things we've heard before, but a couple new ones uh, coming out this week from Bloomberg. They say there's going to be a bunch of pro camera updates coming with the iPhone 13, specifically in the area of video recording. They say we're going to get ProRes for videos. So Apple's ProRes coming to uh, the iPhone, which is pretty cool. And also portrait mode for videos. So you'll be able to do all that cool bokeh effect in your video. And then they mentioned AI power filters AI-powered filters, rather. Uh, so your iPhone will be able to actually precisely apply changes to objects and people across the photos using artificial intelligence. So rather than just applying it to the entire photo, they're going to use some uh, smart AI, uh, I would assume, with the neural engine to uh, do a little better job on applying those effects, which would be nice. And then they also did confirm uh, what we have already been suspecting and has been rumored that the iPhone 13 is going to have a slight redesign with a smaller notch in there. So that is is happening. Also, we heard about a survey of more than 3,000 iPhone owners from Cell Cell, that's S-E-L-L-C-E-L-L, and it had some interesting findings in it with regards to the popularity or potential popularity of the iPhone 13. We know Apple has been gearing up their production that they are feeling like 
you know, iPhone 13 is going to be a very popular release. Uh, the survey from Cell Cell says that 43.7% of the people they surveyed said they said that they do intend to upgrade. Now, these are existing iPhone owners. So, you know, they're already in the ecosystem. They're already sort of bought in. So we got to take these numbers with a grain of salt. But that's pretty good if we're going to get, uh, you know, more than half of the folks who own an iPhone updating this time around, that should translate into some pretty good sales. Uh, In their survey, the most popular model was the base iPhone 13 model. Uh, 38.2% said that that was going to be the one that they were going to go for. Second most popular, as you might imagine, was the iPhone 13 Pro Max, uh, 30.8% said that that was what they were planning to upgrade to. And the most desired features, uh, reasons why people are wanting to upgrade, the 120 hertz ProMotion display, uh, the always-on display, which we've been you know talking about. I think that would be a really cool feature, uh, whether that shows up or not. I'm kind of 50-50 on that one. We keep hearing that rumor, but you know, that's something, that'd be a feat to pull off. Of course, uh, that LTPO uh, display, the 120 hertz ProMotion, you know, variable refresh rate display is what makes that possible. So if we get that, very likely we will get the always-on display. And then uh, last one was the smaller notch, which I find interesting, again, because I think I've grown accustomed to the notch and I I never really notice it anymore. So it's not like a big deal to me, uh, the notch, but I guess it means uh, a lot of people do care about it. And uh, it is a feature that they want to see reduced or I guess potentially go away. So, well, have to see. Uh, some other interesting things from the survey, they found that 18.3% of folks said that they were triskadec Triscodecophobic. Triscodecophobic. I always have trouble with that word. Uh, that's the fear of the number 13. Uh, and a whopping 74% actually said they wished that Apple would use a name other than iPhone 13, regardless of uh, having a phobia or not. And I'm kind of in that camp. You know, I think it's about time we just drop the numbers and just have generations of iPhone. I've talked about this on the show before. Why not just have an iPhone? iPhone mini, an iPhone pro and an iPhone pro max. It feels very simple. And you have the, you know, 2021 version of that. And then a 2022 version of that. I think we, we don't really need the numbers anymore, uh, to, to differentiate models. We can do it by model year and it doesn't even have to be part of the product name. Uh, but you know, we still have the numbers. I'm not, I have no really issue with 13. Uh, I think it's kind of a neat number. As a matter of fact, we're recording this podcast on Friday the 13th and I have no, uh, no qualms about that. Things are, well, <laughs> and I say that <laughs> I don't even want to say that things are going well with my recording. Cause you know, then something is going to happen and, you know, knock on wood and all the other superstitions. So in one breath, I say I'm not superstitious. In the other breath, I kind of feel it. So maybe I, maybe I actually am. Maybe I'm just fooling myself. Uh, not to be left out in the uh, late breaking rumors, Trendforce has weighed in this week with their own predictions. Although for them, not much new here. They say they're expecting a faster, more power efficient five nanometer plus chip. I've never heard that uh, 
that plus part added, but we had been hearing that Apple's going to do some enhancements to the current chip, even though they're using the uh, same five nanometer five nanometer manufacturing process. Uh, and surprise, uh, Trendforce says the name's going to be the A15 Bionic. Uh, they also sort of confirm what we talked about, I think, last week, that support for millimeter wave 5G technology is going to be coming out in more phones in more countries. And also they talked about the new space-saving technology for internal circuits that's going to allow Apple to add larger batteries in this year's iPhones. And they say the new models will have similar pricing to last year's iPhone 12 models and that Apple should announce the new devices on schedule this year in September. So we are not expecting a delay. We are expecting an early September announcement for new iPhones. So they should be on the horizon. Apple continues to rack up and land more big name stars for Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, the big one this week was Apple and Netflix were reportedly in a bidding war over a new Jennifer Lawrence project, and Apple has apparently won that war, at least according to Deadline. That's what they're reporting. The project is a new film where Lawrence is set to play legendary Hollywood agent Sue Mangers. We don't know exactly how much Apple paid for the film, but reports had claimed the bidding had risen to as high as $95 million. So we can suspect that Apple uh, racked in something in that price range. Oscar winner, winner Paolo Sorrentino is reportedly signed on to direct with a script from Lauren Schuker Bohm, Blum, excuse me, Rebecca Angelo, and John Logan. No word yet on when the film will begin production, nor when it will be released. Apple also signed a new deal for a TV series called Bad Monkey that will star actor Vince Vaughn. It's a 10-episode series based on a 2013 novel by the same name. The story is about a young uh, about a detective in South Florida who gets demoted to be a restaurant inspector named Andrew Yancey. When tourists find a severed arm, it somehow ends up in Yancey's freezer. I'd be curious to know how that happened. And uh, that pulls him, I guess, into a world of uh, an underground world of greed and corruption so kind of feels like they they describe it as a comedy feeling like a little bit of a dark comedy maybe dark comedy detective sort of thing so very interesting i, I like vince vaughn i think he's a, a great actor loved swingers back in the day when it came out and i know i've seen him in some stuff recently although i can't remember um what he's been in but uh looking forward to seeing him on uh on this show for apple and bonus uh the series is the second series on Apple TV Plus coming from writer-producer Bill Lawrence, uh, who you might already know works as a writer and executive producer on Ted Lasso. Uh, and no doubt, that's a that's a great show. So maybe he can pull off lightning in a bottle twice uh, with this new one with Vince Vaughn. And then finally, in Apple TV Plus news, Tom Hanks is about to debut his second film project on Apple TV Plus. The film Finch will premiere on the service on November 5th. It's uh, already getting some early award season buzz. Uh, it's about a man, his dog, and a robot who is played by Caleb Landry Jones. 
In the film, Hanks stars as Finch, a robotics engineer and one of the few survivors of a cataclysmic solar event uh, that's left the world as a wasteland. After living in a bunker for over a decade with his dog Goodyear, Finch creates a robot to watch over the dog when he no longer can. The three odd companions embark on a journey, and Finch uh, tries to show the robot the joy and wonder of what it means to be alive. So looks like a heartwarming, uplifting film. I love that kind of stuff, and I'm looking forward to seeing this one. Again, it's due out on Apple TV Plus in November. And then finally in the news for this week, we're getting some new buzz around MacBook Pros moving into production. Uh, according to DigiTimes, they say that Apple is hoping to reach production of up to 800,000 of their new 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros by the end of November, and that the company reportedly expects to sell a total of 23 million MacBooks by the end of this year. That would be about a 15% increase in total yearly MacBook sales. Uh, I think they can pull it off. Uh, if the new M1X uh, 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros turn out to be as amazing as we are expecting, remember, the rumors are that we're going to get uh, 10-core CPU with eight high-performance cores and two energy-efficient cores, GPUs with either 16 or 32 cores, and RAM up to 64 gigabytes. And you know how screaming fast the M1 machines already are. These things are going to take the specs to a whole new level. I think pros are going to go absolutely bonkers over these. Apple may even be underestimating the popularity of these machines when they come out. Uh, they're also expected to, of course, have mini LED displays. They're going to have an updated flat edge design bringing back a lot of the ports that pros want, like the SD card slot, HDMI ports, and of course MagSafe, and dumping the touch bar all at the same time. So sort of Apple writing all of their wrongs from the previous generations of MacBook Pros in the minds of a lot of people. So again, I expect them to be hugely popular. Uh, we are thinking that the new machines could be announced as early as September, or at least some folks are. I think it's more likely that Apple uh, will hold a separate event uh, for the Mac, probably in October. That's kind of how they time these things out. So we'll have the September announcement for iPhones, uh, maybe Apple Watch updates, and then that followed by uh, a Mac announcement sometime uh, later in the fall probably early October. So that's what's happening with MacBook Pros. Uh, looking toward the future, Ming-Chi Kuo has jumped in on the updated MacBook Air in colors bandwagon, along with Mark Gurman and John Prosser, who previously have... Uh, have thrown out this rumor. He said in a research note that Apple would update the MacBook Air with a mini LED display and an all-new design similar to the MacBook Pro models sometime in mid-2022. He says there's going to be several color options. Um, no word on what those colors are, although I would assume Apple's going to go ahead and try and match the colors, or at least the color palette, from the 2021 24-inch M1 iMacs. And then rumors have also claimed that the new machines would have an updated M-series processor. Could be the first time we see an M2, so kind of the next generation of Apple Silicon. And uh, it's also been rumored that uh, this 2022 edition may also be the one that brings MagSafe back to the MacBook Air. 
Uh, Quo was unclear on if these new machines would completely replace the 2021 M1 models or if Apple might keep the older one around, maybe at a reduced price point. I think uh, that wouldn't be a bad move on their part. If they could get uh, a MacBook Air back down under a sub $999 USD price, I think that would be, again, great for Apple. And, you know, those M1 machines are fast enough that I don't see them sort of aging out in just a year, right? There's going to be a lot of people that would be happy to have an M1 MacBook Air even in 2022 if they could uh, if they could save some money on that. So I think it'd be a good move on Apple's part, and I would expect to see them do that. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank one of my show sponsors, and that is LinkedIn Jobs. You know, today, many small business owners are busier than ever. That's because they're focused on managing and growing their businesses. They can't always spend the time that they wish they could on recruiting. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easy to find and hire the best candidates for free. You know, I when I am trying to look for a job or find a new uh, a new opportunity, I am on LinkedIn. It's really the first place that I went to recently uh, when I was looking for a full-time job. When I realized I needed to go back to work, uh, the opportunities, uh, the ability to network on LinkedIn is just uh, invaluable. Uh, I was there. Uh, it's where a lot of people go to quickly find all kinds of great job listings and opportunities. I love the fact that you can filter through based on your qualifications. That's how I was actually able to find uh, my next job. So it makes sense that that is the perfect place to post your listing if you're looking for new talent. You can get started by posting your job for free and reach LinkedIn's network of over 740 million professionals. Fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, skills, and motivation you need. Then it's easy to filter and prioritize the top candidates you'd like to interview. LinkedIn Jobs will help you hire the right person for your role. And did you know, every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. Post your first job for free at linkedin.com slash maccast. That's linkedin.com slash maccast to post your first job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And a big thank you to LinkedIn Jobs for their support of the maccast. I personally love my new Apple TV 4K. When Apple did their last update, uh, I had been waiting to upgrade I had a 4K TV, but I was still using an older uh, Apple TV fourth generation, the the HD version. So I updated. I absolutely love it. I use it for videos. I use it for my streaming. I use it for gaming now with Apple Arcade. I've tried a little bit of Apple Fitness. I'd like to use it more for that, but I kind of have to get myself motivated. You know, it's something I struggle with. I think a lot of us do. It's a great, useful tool for me, but I am a person who is, as you probably guessed, all in on the Apple ecosystem. So it makes sense that the Apple TV would work well for me. Um, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman, though, recently said in his newsletter that he feels like Apple's TV strategy has become, quote, 
pointless. And he was basically referring to the set-top box and its ability to compete with other ones from companies like Amazon and Roku. And he seems to feel that the number one sticking point or the, the biggest sticking point in particular is the price tag. The price tag is an issue. Um, I think also a little bit of the diversification Apple has done with the app, right? Do you really need the set-top box anymore? Uh, and do you really need to pay $150, $200 for a set-top box when you can get other ones uh, for much cheaper that do very similar things? So I wanted to bring this up in our community because I really wanted to have a discussion about it because um, I'm conflicted a little bit. I can see where he's coming from, honestly. Um, but like I said, I love my Apple TV. I'm like all in on the ecosystem. And maybe that's something that Apple is okay with, that the Apple TV is really targeted at a very small, narrow market. And I think often this is something that analysts and people who watch Apple miss. I think it's definitely being missed with respect to the Apple TV Plus service. Um, it's it's hard for people to understand that Apple cares more about uh, serving a small audience, potentially, and a small audience very, very well, and just making the money that they can from that audience and being happy with that versus, you know, wanting to dominate the world and have the largest market share and, and things like that. You know, they're willing to let people pay a premium. <laughs> let, that's a funny way to say that, but you get my point. They, they, they are willing to charge people a premium. That's probably the better way to say that. Um, who are willing to, to do that for a certain kind of experience. Um, and I think that's generally okay. I don't, I don't know why Apple, there's this perception that Apple has to compete in all these markets. At the same time, right, it does as a consumer, as a person buying Apple products, you do kind of feel like, wow, Amazon sells a set-top box for, you know, 50 bucks or maybe even, I don't know how, how low they've gotten at this point with the sticks and stuff like that, 30 bucks. And I'm paying upwards of $200 for a set-top box. And oh, by the way, my smart TV already has a lot of the same functionality, including the Apple TV Plus app built into it. Um, admittedly, uh, the experience really sucks, in my opinion. It's nothing like my Apple TV experience. And so, again, I'm willing to pay a little bit more for that. But, you know, does does Mark Gurman have a point? Do Is there any really need, is there a need in today's market space for the Apple TV, at least in its current um form factor, its current iteration. Uh, and another part of German's note was that he had heard from a number of Apple engineers, you know, folks inside Apple who are saying that, you know, Apple really doesn't have a strong living room strategy. And so when I read that, I kind of, the other thing I thought about is, do they need a strong living room strategy? Is this something that needs to be part of Apple's long-term plans, you know, at the same level or at least in the same, uh, you know, future strategy as something like, you know, the Apple car or the VR headset. You know, what is a living room strategy key to Apple's ability to grow their business and, and take it forward? It might be uh, for their services business, you know, so maybe, uh, I don't really know, but you kind of do have a lot of other options uh, if you want to just play Apple TV Plus content or content to your TV, you've got AirPlay in third-party devices, you know, so does the Apple TV need to be be a part of that? 
And despite the pessimism, though, uh, German also does say in his note that he thinks that Apple is developing an Apple TV, HomePod, FaceTime product. So those three products kind of merging together into one sort of living room product that would be released sometime in, he thinks, 2023. And we've kind of heard about this product uh, being rumored in the past that Apple's been looking at, you know, like what's the next generation or iteration of the Apple TV and the HomePod? You know, is it something with a screen that you can do FaceTime on, screen and a camera, something you'd have in your living room? Um, and that's honestly something that doesn't really appeal to me. Um, I don't think I'd buy that product, but... I would like to see Apple focus, and I've wanted Apple to focus on for years, more of a living room hub, something that maybe better services families with their libraries, uh, so you can kind of have a family media library. We're kind of getting there with the Apple's family plans, but it's not really that easy to navigate. I'd love to see a meshed library where it's just totally mixed together with everybody from the family rather than having to have it siloed between different accounts, which is kind of how it is now. Um, but, you know, I think the killer living room product in my mind for Apple to do, if they're going to combine the Apple TV and the HomePod into something, I would love to see them combine an Apple TV, a HomePod, and a mesh router. So bring back AirPlay in a mesh format and have that be a HomePod plus plus mesh router, right? Because you want your HomePod in multiple rooms, your HomePod mini, and you need mesh routers in multiple rooms. So you could get audio and killer, easy to configure and set up Wi-Fi throughout your house, fast Wi-Fi. That would be a huge win in my book. And I think Apple would sell a ton of that product. I'm not so sure that that, that many folks are that into FaceTime that they feel like they need a, a FaceTime device in your living room. And I don't even know how you'd set that up. Like, where would you put it? I have my HomePod and my Apple TV kind of up on my mantle, um, just under my television set. And that'd be kind of awkward to have to go over and do FaceTime calls over there. So I don't know, maybe if it had a detachable screen or something like that, kind of like a, a mini version of an iPad, that could work. But that really doesn't have an appeal to me. So I don't know if that's the right strategy. Um, that is a strategy. And so the question do, does become, you know, if Apple had that kind of device, would that be game changer for a living room strategy? I kind of feel like it wouldn't. I think it needs to be something more than that or something different. Um, but, you know, uh, what do you think? You know, why is Apple sort of struggling and it seems to continue to struggle uh, cracking the living room, right? They discontinued the HomePod. They discontinued the iPod Hi-Fi. It's just a place where they seem to have really constantly struggled. And I think that's what maybe German and other analysts are sort of uh, re reacting to, right? It's like Apple keeps trying and not really succeeding. And, and we see them succeed in so many other areas. So why is this the tough nut for them to crack? And I don't really know what the answer is. Again, I love my Apple TV. I think it's a perfectly fine product. And I think maybe Apple is just happy, again, servicing those of us who like the product. And if you don't and want something else, there's obviously plenty of other options. So maybe they don't need a living room strategy. But again, I'd love to know what you think about this topic. So shoot me some feedback. Send me an email, maccast at gmail.com com.
So I received a, an email this week from Chris, who was trying to connect a new 2019 16-inch MacBook Pro to an old but very, very nice Apple 27-inch LED cinema display. Great display. Uh, Chris had purchased Apple's Thunderbolt 3 USB-C to Thunderbolt 2 display adapter and tried connecting things up, and lo and behold, wasn't working. Now, some of you already are predicting or probably know what happened. But I have to say, this isn't a unique problem. And it's not just limited to Apple's LED cinema displays. Uh, Connecting older displays to newer Macs, I think, can be frustrating and head-scratching at at best, right? It's not fun figuring out the right adapter to go from a new Mac, especially a USB-C Mac in, in this day and age, to an older display. You really have to know like the ins and outs, the nitty gritty of your display specs, and you have to drill down when you're searching for adapters. And there's a gazillion adapters from a gazillion manufacturers that all kind of claim to do the same thing or have the same, at least the same kinds of connections, but they're not all created equal and they're all not going to work for your display specs necessarily. So you really have to like know and understand this stuff to really figure it out. And in this case, Apple, I feel in a, in really what is a noble attempt to make things more simple, kind of created some of this confusion and we see some of the same confusion with USB-C and Thunderbolt now, which is why we had to have, you know, Larry from OWC on to talk about USB-C and Thunderbolt 3 and Thunderbolt 4. And we've talked about it a few times outside of that, too, because it's super confusing, right? And the problem comes down to, you know, trying to get to this place where we have, I think, one connector, but then we have all kinds of different data specifications going over that connector. And in this case, we're talking about, you know, a video specification, but it could be any other kind of data specification, Thunderbolt versus USB-C, for example. So a part of the confusion too, I think comes into play because Apple had released over the years kind of three different cinema displays. The first generation was DVI, either single link or dual link. I think that one's a bit easier to detect because DVI does it just the connector looks very different than anything else that was used in the 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 next generations of that display. Now the second generation was a mini display port. It had its own connector. It was small, squarish, and it was what Apple used on what they called the LED cinema display. So I think we had, was the first one maybe just called the cinema display? I don't, I don't remember for sure. But the second one was the LED cinema display. And then they later came out with the Thunderbolt version, Apple's Thunderbolt display, which used Thunderbolt 2. And that's kind of where I think the confusion came in because the thing is the LED cinema display and the Apple Thunderbolt display look very similar uh, they have similar names, I guess. I mean, the Thunderbolt's kind of a clue that it's Thunderbolt. But when Apple developed the Thunderbolt 2 uh, spec, they used the same connector as Mini DisplayPort. So the connector is identical between Thunderbolt 2 and Mini DisplayPort, but the data specification, what's running over it, can vary depending upon what you're doing. And in this case, as you all might have deduced by now, what happened to Chris is that Chris had a mini display port, you know, uh, version of the, L- he had the LED cinema display 
but was attempting to use a Thunderbolt 2 to Thunderbolt 3 USB-C adapter. And, uh, you know, there's no issue in making the physical connection because Thunderbolt and Mini DisplayPort are the same. They're the same connector. So you can easily connect everything up, but then lo and behold, it doesn't work. And that's because the Thunderbolt 2 to Thunderbolt 3 adapter does not support Mini DisplayPort. And Apple does state this on the product page where they sell the adapter, but it's easily masked. It's missed, rather. It's kind of in the fine print. And, you know, if you're looking at the the picture, the beautiful picture that's there, hey, it's got the right connector on it. That's that's what I need. I need that adapter. And I, I have a feeling there's a lot of people that buy this adapter and return it because uh, it doesn't work for them. And honestly, I've had a similar hard time trying to use, I have an old HP DVI display that's perfectly working and good. And so every time I upgrade my Mac, I connect it. And so when I got my uh, 16-inch MacBook Pro, you know, USB-C ports, I wanted to connect up this adapter. Well, I already had a um, Apple's DisplayPort to DVI adapter. And so I thought, hey, I'll get a USB-C to DisplayPort adapter connect everything up and that'll just work. Uh, it did not, <laughs> at least not for me, at least not consistently. Uh, it it seemed to work fine connecting to my MacBook Pro because I run that through a Thunderbolt Drobo, so that worked fine. But when uh, my office gave me a 2018 Mac Mini and I had to connect the same display to that, um, I tried to use two adapters to, to get that to happen, the USB-C to DisplayPort adapter, and then the Apple's DisplayPort to DVI adapter did not work. And I ended up having to go back uh, and purchase a USB-C to DVI adapter uh, from Monoprice. So kind of doing the double adapter thing didn't work out very well. Had a really hard time getting it to work consistently. So uh, I guess the moral of the story is, right, you got to kind of really pay close attention to your specs uh, and really do your research and homework uh, to make sure you're getting the right adapters, especially when you're trying to hook up, you know, older displays to newer Macs. It can definitely be very confusing. And I feel for anybody who's gone through the frustration of like not getting the right adapter uh, or not finding the right way to connect an older display. So if you have stories of that and you want to share them, or if you have tips or advice for folks who are maybe looking to connect older displays to their Mac, send those along to maccast at gmail.com. Finally today, I've got a really cool new thing of the moment. This literally just came out today as I was, uh, you know, setting down to prep this podcast it's a new word game uh from the one at least one of the game designers from hidden folks which is another great game on uh ios ipad if you haven't found that it's like a little hidden find find the hidden object game it's beautiful uh great illustrations and drawings absolutely love that i'm sure i've recommended it in the past if you've never played hidden folks you should check that out but same game developer has a new word game out and available on apple arcade called word web w-u-r-d web word web and it's kind of a take on uh crossword puzzles and scrabble and there are a few different game modes You can unlock various modifications to those game modes. And the basic gameplay, it sounds super, super simple. You place in either horizontal or vertical rows words that they give you. So they give you a word list. 
you place those words onto a board. It looks very similar to a Scrabble board. And there's, you know, 1x, 2x, and 3x modifier squares. So if your word runs over those squares, you unlock or get additional uh, words for your word list. So you have more opportunities to uh, to put words on the board. And, there, and like I said, there's different modes. Um, I've just started playing. And so there's one called Tangle where what you're trying to do is get, you know, a certain number of words onto the board uh, without sort of locking yourself out or blocking yourself. And then um, what's the the other mode is a you're trying to get from one point on the board to another point. So you're, you basically have your word overlap certain squares. And uh, if you can do that, then you pass that round. It is super, super fun. It sounds and looks very simplistic, like, oh, this is going to be super, super easy. Uh, it uses AI, I think, to kind of figure out the words that it's going to deliver to you. And it's much more challenging <laughs> than you might think. But it is super fun, and I'm just having a great time playing it. So uh, if you're looking for a new word game and you're an Apple Arcade subscriber, check out WordWeb. If you haven't tried out Apple Arcade, I'm just a huge fan. You know, I used to easily spend about five bucks a month on games for my iOS device. So at $4.99, it was no brainer for me. And now that it's part of, you know, Apple's, uh, Apple, uh, what do we, what do we, Apple One plans? I wanted to say Apple Plus plan. <laughs> part of the Apple One plan, you know, it's just really part of the package that I have. So I enjoy playing them. We, we play games on the Apple TV. Like I said, I got a couple of game controllers, a Nimbus controller, and then just a PlayStation controller. And we have good family time playing that. So, you know, fun, casual game, and it's worth checking out. So I'll have a link to it in the show notes at MacCast.com, but it's called WordWeb. You can find it on Apple Arcade. And with that, that is going to do it for this episode of the MacCast. So thank, thank you for hanging out with me. Uh, before I leave you, I do want to take a moment and thank my show sponsor, Smile makers of text expander you can find more information and details on text expander by visiting textexpander.com slash podcast bandwidth for the maccast is provided by cashfly you can find them at c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com and all advertising on the maccast is handled by backbeat media they are at backbeatmedia.com as always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline, that phone number, 281-622-4269, MacIAM9, and you can leave a voicemail. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any of any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at MacCast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, MacCast over there. But with that, that's going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. <laughs>